Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You are listening to Linux in the Hampshire. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. You have tuned in to episode number 325 of Linux in the Hampshire. We want to thank everybody for being here tonight, and we have a special guest with us to do our deep dive topic for the evening. But before we get to that, we'll introduce the usual cast of characters on the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. And if you don't believe me, just check the dictionary. But sure. first, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. And with us tonight, we have another ham. We have Josh Nass, KI6NAZ, that's Kilo India 6 November Alpha Zulu. And he's out in somewhere in California. So he's uh, coming to us from the past. And um, he did something we talked about on a previous episode where we announced his Hackaday text chat about the relevancy or future relevancy of amateur radio. And this is something we touch on quite a bit on our program, but we haven't really done a deep dive into it. And since he decided to take on the topic, we're going to pick his brain and just talk about amateur radio relevancy. So good evening to you, Josh. It's good to have you here. Hey, thank you, everybody. I appreciate you inviting me on. And I'm in uh, Cerritos, California, which is Southern California, kind of outside L.A., all right, very good. We were having a discussion about L.A. yesterday evening, <laughs> brought on by an episode of Live PD, which we probably don't need to go too deeply into here. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, we learned a lot about Los Angeles last night. But anyway, <laughs> we're, not, uh, we're not here to talk about Los Angeles. We're here to no. talk about amateur radio relevancy. But before we do that, let's find out a little bit about Josh Nass. So, who are you? Where did you come from? And when did you become an amateur? Uh, so, again, I'm Josh, uh, KI6NAZ. I'm from uh, Southern California. I lived here my entire life. I became a ham in 2007. Before that, though, I got some kind of experience with it in Boy Scouts. And when I became an engineer, software engineer in 2007, I had my first Elmer, and he was also an engineer and kind of said, hey, we're, we're kind of doing radio-adjacent work here. You might want to look into amateur radio. And so that kind of led me down to the local testing location. And I got my technician, stayed a technician for quite a while, and I believe I became a general in 2013 or 14, and I just passed my extra about three weeks ago. Um, I'm also the creator of the Ham Radio Crash Course YouTube channel, and that's been a lot of fun. That's been kind of my mission for the last two years, and doing things like this, kind of amateur radio advocacy and getting information out there in a way that is uh, hopefully kind of easy to digest and, and a little bit fun. Well, that's cool, and congratulations on passing the extra exam and getting those uh, extra privileges. Yes, thank uh, you. I, I did that about two years ago myself now, and 
uh, it was a long time coming because I was first licensed in 1992. So, yep. So that being said, um, I did, it's funny. I didn't know this until later, but, um, Bill, well, we announced your Hackaday chat on the show last week Mm -hmm. and Bill was in the chat. So, um, he was, he was talking about the scouts. So we've already got that in. (laughs) <laughs> we got the scouts out of the way early right Get we got it in early so um right. but what i didn't realize is but like about a week before that my youtube had randomly chosen your video on detecting rf um like apropos of nothing and i watched it yeah and didn't realize until later who you were of course because <laughs> i had never seen the ham radio crash course youtube channel or anything like that sure and here we are so in a wonderful bit of serendipity yeah so, that, that video got kind of popular <laughs> yeah it apparently did because it just showed up in my feed for no reason um so before we get into keeping ham radio relevant which is going to be of course the focus of our evening tonight uh, tell us about the ham radio crash course. I, I, I love seeing YouTube channels like yours and there are a lot of them out there where it's basically just some guy doing a random vlog and then all of a sudden he gets focus <laughs> and the, the channel, the uh, channel turns into, you know, something specific and that's what happened with you. So when did you like convert over and start doing the ham radio crash course and like, what's your main goal behind that? Oh man, so you noticed, you noticed my uh, what my channel went through. So yeah, I've I've been on YouTube since 2006, and it was just some guy doing whatever he found interesting, right? And then kind of the Casey Neistat effect happened, right? Everybody started vlogging, and I'm like, well, I can do that. And so I was I vlogged for over 600 days straight, and uh, learned a lot about video making, not necessarily good video making, but quick. And I was like, well. You know, this is really messing with my work-life balance and my balance of sanity. So I'm going to figure out a way to do this uh, more focused on my passions. So it really meant radio, focusing on amateur radio. And so shortly after being done with the vlog about two years ago or so, maybe a little more than two years ago, I decided I'm going to do two things that I kind of knew well at the time. I knew live streaming really well because I had been involved with other channels in a live streaming effect through which was – I think people still use it. Uh, Google Hangouts was kind of like what we used. But I knew there there had to be kind of a better way to do it and a more effective way to kind of make a show out of it, not just a big group of people talking, which is great. But I thought maybe we could make it a little bit more focused. So I started using OBS software and kind of putting scenes together, and I dragged out a green screen, and I'm like, okay. So I would – Kind of what kicked the whole thing off was I did a series of classes on the technician license and then later the general license. And then it just kind of stuck. Every week I do an episode. They're about an hour long. And then in parallel to that, I also upload a standalone video. Nothing to do with the live stream, and it's you know edited after the fact that it's recorded. And that goes up usually sometime during the week. And that generally I try and hit the sweet spot of, you know, 10 to 13 minutes, which is what YouTube seems to like. And the topics are varied within amateur radio. I don't really, um, I kind of get to explore, which is funny. I went from being a no-focused channel to uh, a channel with some level of focus, but amateur radio is so broad that, you know, I could do a video on 
Poxag pagers. And then a month later, I'm doing a video on tracking down RFI. And YouTube still says, oh, no, yeah, he's he's really focused. But in, in all honesty, I'm all over the place, just all over the place within radio, which is kind of like um, where I want to be anyway. And then, you know, the whole goal of it really at the end of the day is what we say is to kind of breed inclusivity into amateur radio and create a community, not for any one group, but just create kind of a place where people can ask questions and not necessarily feel like uh, they're they're getting stepped on or they're kind of made to feel dumb. We really try to avoid that. We really try to focus on, you know, making sure that not only the question is understood by the person asking it, because sometimes that's just a problem if somebody's new and they're not really in the technical space. And then that the answer, although it's going to have jargon in it, try to break the jargon down and make it kind of easier to digest. All right. Excellent. And like I said, I've I've seen that one video. I watched a couple more. Mm -hmm. And of course, the one uh, that's relevant to the topic today that you did, or at least you put out on Saturday. Yeah. Uh, So, Let's uh, go ahead and talk about ham radio relevancy. One thing I did do is I, when I was watching the video, you uh, were referencing a survey. Mm-hmm. And I kind of – I was watching it 2X. So I believe the survey wasn't done by you, um, but you were using it as a sort of the basis of your talk, I guess. Yeah, the, the survey was created by Dustin N8RMA. Uh, I have the link in my – I'm sure you could put it in the show notes. I can provide that link to you guys. Uh, but basically, he does a state of the hobby, and I, I'm pretty sure he's been doing it for at least two years. And if he's been doing it more than that, I apologize for not knowing. But 2018, 2019, he produced this really nicely thought-out survey that kind of just takes a state of of where the hobby's at, both from the point of view of – who do we have that's licensed? What are their age groups? What are their interests? What brought them to radio? And what do they feel are the largest kind of issues affecting radio? Right. And that speaks to its relevancy, of course. So um, I wrote down, and you can't see this because it's on our <laughs> notes machine, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I wrote down like all the things that were on that that chart. Well, you had a chart. It was like a bar yeah, graph. I, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And um, so if you would, maybe if you can remember back, you obviously don't have to know the thing, the categories exactly. But if you want to pull out the things that you personally think are the are mostly affecting ham radio relevancy on that list, if you want me to read the list, I can do that. But no, I've, I've got my slides in front of me. I'm ready to go. <laughs> I all right. Just, fantastic. I can talk to him. Yeah. So uh, there, were, the, there were quite a few on that list. But which ones do you think, you know, maybe pick the top five that you think are the, affecting uh, ham radio the most? Sure. So the the big thing I think that all the data points to is that we have a top heavy knowledge base within amateur radio. I believe the quote was 65 or 63 percent of amateurs are above the age of 55 years old. And the majority of the people that that have become licensed, about 71 percent report not having a mentor to kind of encourage them to get licensed. And then, you know, one could infer, but, you know, I don't know because the question wasn't there, that they don't have a mentor then kind of showing them new areas of areas of radio or perhaps demonstrating HF to them, you know, something that would that for me anyway, and for a lot of other people breeds a lot of interest. And, you know, another item that I think kind of has a, has a problem or an indicator is, you know, people love attending club meetings. But again, if we've got this top heavy 
experience base, then the club meetings, the face of club meetings may start to change. And not my not my viewpoint necessarily, but from the the slides from the actual survey, the two major points that are called out in the survey is that we've got an operator base that's aging out and then a general lack of interest in at least that's the claim that they feel is the largest perceived issue is this general lack of interest in amateur radio, which I find I find that very interesting because I every day I wake up I find something new and interesting in amateur radio that that kind of drives me to learn a bit more. So I definitely have some thoughts on that and that's kind of what took my talk forward that I did last week and obviously there's the hack chat that I got a bunch of good questions on and we had a lot of fun doing that there so do you this isn't listed as one of the things but as you were speaking just now it made me think of it do you think uh, and I know it did come up in the hackaday chat once or twice mm-hmm. um this general lack of interest do you think it has anything to do with the sort of at least previous lack of STEM education. I know that's coming back and people are trying to focus on that, but do you think mm-hmm. that has anything to do with it? Um, you know, that I'm not I, I'm not sure. So there was a part I, I couldn't really I create like a thought on is that there's a there's a segment of us as amateurs and it's it's probably all of us listening and everybody, you know, talking in this room that we all came from kind of a background of of having kind of a hacker mindset. A, a mindset to figure out how things work and kind of break stuff down and and learn about it. And I think that kids have that regardless if they have STEM training or not. But the STEM training broadens the experience base at a younger age. And that's important. So I, I don't I do want the STEM support there uh, for kids. But I think it's the general just lack of exposure to amateur radio. That's one of the major problems is that we we don't I don't know if it's outreach or if it's just not enough amateurs kind of out there at the grassroots level. Like one of the one of the metrics that that was on the survey was, are other members of your family radio amateurs? Fourteen percent said yes. Eighty six percent said no. And, you know, I would take that to mean the, the larger family, aunts, uncles, whomever, grandparents, right? Grandparents. There's not a lot of them out there anymore. So. It would seem that the familial, close relation connection that a lot of people came to amateur radio from is maybe not the way it's going to be going forward. We have to find other ways to kind of demonstrate or get amateur radio in front of people. And that's a topic we toss around all the time because mm-hmm. we're, we're always wondering, yes, we know that the at least the age bracket in amateur radio is extraordinarily top heavy. Mm-hmm. And our last deep dive, actually, the, the one we just did was about youth on the air, uh, specifically referencing this topic of bringing, bringing in from the bottom up uh, the next generation of amateur radio operators and how do you get them interested. And I know you touched on that. So, um, I don't, let's see. Do we want to jump right in there? Sure. Let's jump right in there. What the hell? Okay. <laughs> um, so, so what do you perceive? Uh, you, you made an interesting point about the difference between a mentor and an Elmer. And I, I, I don't know if I have a, an opinion on that. Does anyone else have an opinion on whether Elmering is uh, an outdated term? Should we not use that? Um, <laughs> it, it doesn't bother me so much, but I don't think, uh, I don't think the youth, uh, in general, get mentor either <laughs> they don't get mentored well men, yeah mentoring is a whole different it's, it's a whole that sounds a lot like counseling are you activity. saying the term elmer should the term elmer um 
I know Josh says that he prefers the term mentor because it has a broader appeal. Um, I, no, I agree with that. I Elmer kind of seems antiquated. Is it antiquated? I, yeah, yeah it, is mentoring is mentoring as an idea? Is that antiquated? No, no. I don't. Feel I love like how it we're is. all like, yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the, the major point. I think the major point I was trying to make there is that if you find out someone doesn't like a particular term. And it's not of amazing importance to what you're doing out there, then maybe don't use it. <laughs> I think that's right. kind of what I was trying to no, say. Is fair enough. D- if does, that's a you know a barrier, then it's okay if we don't use it. You know, just do something else. I guess. Does 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 using the word mentor help? <laughs> do you, do you think that makes a difference either? Well, I I, <laughs> I my personal opinion on this is if you tell someone that. You know, if you have questions about this, go talk to your Elmer. They're going to look at you like, if they have no idea <laughs> yes. what Elmer yeah. is, they're like, duh, what's well, that? Well, that's true, yeah. But if may... you say, if you need help, go talk to the mentor, they're like, oh, okay, I know what mentor means. So I'll go I'll go find that guy. Uh, or yeah. use, it, use it as a verb, right? Um, you, need, you need Elmering. You need mentoring. Which one sounds a little bit off? Um, the, yeah, Elmering. Yeah. Elmer, well, Elmering by default is is antiquated because just the name. <laughs> right. Antiquated. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Elmer? Jeez. Yeah. Exactly. exactly. Elmer, well, think, Elmer was your granddad in the 30s. That's who Elmer was. <laughs> or your great granddad, or something. Yeah. Or somebody so. who hunts wabbits, being very very. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. Uh, I mean, I. I don't think it's the terminology that really is the problem, um, if there really is a problem. Uh, the, the thing well, is, is that is times have changed. <laughs> no, but no, times have changed now. You know, yeah. I remember when I was a kid, you know, it's pretty much be home by dinner time, and you were running around all over the place. And right. parents, frankly, don't allow their kids to run all over the place anymore. And in fact, right. they're kids are probably part. most at home with their little devices and stuff like that. So, you know, they, you know, they don't feel... Com- you know, comfortable with Johnny or Jane sitting over at you know forty-five-year-old Bob's house learning yeah, amateur garage. radio. Yes, yeah, yeah, in, in the, the garage, garage radios. Or in the shack in the backyard. <laughs> yep. Near all those eyesores that are lowering my property values. Um, <laughs> Get off my lawn. You <laughs> know, so I think I think like with this particular thing is is really you know you have to push it into safe spaces. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably something the hobby hasn't the hobby hasn't taken on beyond the fact of doing you know school clubs getting teachers involved right. getting teachers trained to have that as part of their curriculum and uh you know obviously scouts does it uh civil air patrol does it for uh, some portion of uh, their activities um you know there's lots of ex- extracurricular activities that kids can involved in that allows them to be exposed to this, but I don't think you get the organic exposure that you used to once have Yeah, because kids aren't curious about the guy that has antennas on his house. I and mean, it's not for the fact that of terminology or the fact that there's no STEM It's just right. that they have other distractions a lot I mean, more than we had 20 years ago. Right. So, I mean, compare and contrast the just calorie burn of doing a Civil Air Patrol class or like a STEM class and planning for it and and getting all these people to come out and having a place that you can do the class versus uh, I showed this kid how this radio works. He's my uh, my nephew. He came over to the house and we sat down and one on one. I showed him I was in the shack anyway. I showed him how this whole thing works. It's a vastly different 
calorie draw in the effort you need to do a big undertaking like a class or even with scouts, right? These are things you plan weeks, if not months at a time versus just some ad hoc thing that pops up. Oh, I know somebody with a radio. Boom. I'm just going to watch him or I'm going to ask my questions direct, right? That That's I feel the most value added, even if the content that that person is is learning may not be the most factually accurate. If you can light that spark, they'll run with it on their own at that point. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. yeah. I'm I'm thinking back to when I got into this, and I was fascinated to begin with by the mm-hmm. idea of amateur radio. And of course, my mentor slash Elmer uh, helped me out with that, showed me the radio, and that that blossomed. And encouraged my fascination with the hobby are we you know i hate to <laughs> are, are we looking at an actual like evolutionary shift are people just not interested in this kind of thing anymore i mean is it literally a brain function well no and it, it well the thing is though i i speak from experience like at hamvention uh people will come up to our booth at hamvention they don't want to talk to me because i'm not an experienced ham and they look at me as a woman. Well, so there's that, that more sexism than. Well, no, it's sexism <laughs> too. But even when we go to local ham events, they they look at me as the the inexperienced ham, you know. And like on Facebook ham radio groups that I'm on, women will get on and say, you know, hey, I'm trying to program my radio. I'm having problems. Somebody help! And they're like, read your book. Listen here, that's, YL. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, but the thing is, though, it's that's not a good Elmer process. No, no, it's horrible. Yeah. No, <laughs> so, we talk about how clubs are the leaders in bad communication when it comes to, you know, trying to foster youth and get people interested in amateur radio. Most amateur radio clubs, at least the ones that we all know, are probably the last place you want to try and gain interest in the hobby. I, I get right. stories about that all the time. Personal, firsthand experience of someone telling me they went to a club, and I, I feel that you know, going back to the the aging out kind of thing, I feel at a certain point, people who may have been fantastic mentors slash Elmers in the past start to just become apathetic to a lot of stuff that's kind of outside their wheelhouse, and they're just like, hey, I'm just gonna do single sideband. That, that's what I'm gonna do. That's what I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on that, and uh, you know forget this other these digital modes i i don't i don't really have any interest in that but oddly enough the thing that the survey points out is that people find an extreme amount of interest in these new digital modes but if your super experienced knowledgeable class of amateur radio operator has no desire to go down that rabbit hole and again i'm talking in in a generalization then you know how are you how are you going to pass that information on that experience that knowledge right right well i could i could speak just on this one topic real quick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> with, with my experience at a few uh, national jamborees and the world jamboree, um, the kids are not interested in digital modes. <laughs> it, is, it is the most uninteresting thing that we uh, have offering. Um, they want to talk on the radio, and we had a lot of traction last time with, uh, with CW. And uh, so this next one in 2021, we're doing a little bit more CW and virtually no FT8 or any other digital mode. 
no oh, doubt. I would call that the breaking the seal, though, and introducing them then. But the survey was filled out by hams, and the survey entrants are saying they are interested in digital modes. So those are yeah, kind of two different easy. groups, right? <laughs> well, I think well, easy you don't know about that. Once you become a ham and once you're already in the club, so to speak, you tend to get more interested in all of its facets. Um, but the, I think the trick is finding the facet that interests the person who's not yet interested. And that can be anything, though, because ham radio is, of course, multifaceted. And I can understand why a, why a young person might not be interested in something like FT8, because... Quite frankly, FD8 is pretty boring. Um, you know, just sitting there going, "Oh, I contacted Japan. Oh, I contacted, you know, Ireland. Right, because I didn't no, actually have a conversation the, with anybody. Yeah, there's I no just, interaction with anybody. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so I realize that the hobby, and I know this is one of the things that your video and your talk touched on, Josh, is that we're fighting. You're, we're fighting things like Xboxes, PS4s, and cell phones. But you think we should avoid comparisons between those things and look at it a different way. So maybe you can speak to that. Yeah. So I think I said it in the talk. If if we're just fighting against phones and Xboxes, we've already lost, right? The phone and the Xbox is a a relatively passive device. You plug it in, you load a game on it, and you play the game. And it's for enjoyment of just kind of letting go and not thinking amateur radio i yes there are aspects of it where you can just kind of put a box down and plug it in and you know there's plenty of arguments of just oh you're a radio operator blah 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 but still there's some thinking that has to go into it some research some understanding and my big uh my big kind of push for everybody is since we can't have that kind of holistic knowledge transfer like many people talked about decades ago that the thing we can really start doing, and I think that you know the the older individuals that still kind of have a mentoring mind to it, should start making more online content to capture what they know, or capture what they find interesting. The the transient devices like phones and and games are are tough to compete against. So really, what we need to do is is broker amateur radio as something to learn. It's a lifelong hobby. It's something that you can gain a lot of enjoyment from because you gain mastery over it. Over a long time, you gain mastery. But now, how do you how do you open the door to that? That's a lot harder. But that I think I feel should be more our narrative than. Hey, plug this box in and talk to people, right? Because, I mean, how we already have that. It's called a VHF, UHF handy talkie. And how many people fall off of the interest bandwagon with just their technical license because they took it as far as talking on a repeater and then never take it any further, right? Right. So here's a question I just thought of. Now, we, we talk about, you know, the older generation that's in these clubs and the ones that seem to shut down when, they, when any of this new technology comes along. And we talk about bringing the youth into the hobby. Mm-hmm. And I agree that that's a very powerful thing, and we should be doing that. We should be trying to focus on that and, and getting the next generation or next two generations of hams, you know, into it, getting them licensed, getting them interested, showing them all the great things about the hobby. But somebody who's 60 years old, who has been a ham forever, is probably going to have 20, 25, maybe 30 more years to explore and stuff like that. You think there is value in mentoring an Elmer to try and get them to understand and enjoy some of the things like digital modes and stuff like that. So they can then reverse it back 
And but, yeah. but sometimes the Elmers don't. They sometimes they're at a point where they just don't. I understand it's harder for an older they person don't, to they learn. They don't care. Well, no, it's not. It's not the learning process. It's once they have the knowledge, they kind of have the attitude of. Well, I had to learn, so you go out and learn. Instead but, well, of them saying, right. here, true. let me teach you. No, yeah. I, I understand that. But but a lot of the older hams have the idea that they should be Elmers because it was taught to them. Right. And they should encourage people in the hobby, but they have a limited subset of knowledge, right? right. So when you get to the end of that that knowledge, they shut down. And that's where people start feeling put off. So right. maybe if you expand their horizons, they'll be less likely to shut down the next generation right. coming along you know what i mean yeah, i think you, well see the, the, this is kind of a confluence of multiple issues too right because a lot of the the newer radios and what we're interfacing with radios are computers and some of these hams don't have a great relationship with computers you know hop on the qrz forums and you'd be surprised with how many you know posts there are on just computer problems you know right. and and that's that's a whole separate issue, right? Because that's not necessarily what we need to transfer the information on, like antenna knowledge, antenna building. That was one of the most interesting aspects or parts of the uh, the hobby that people said was antenna building. And and we don't need, you know, computers to do any of that. That's something that you just got to go out and kind of maybe have somebody explain it to you and, and try it, right? Just be, just be willing to try it. Right. Yeah. And of course, we, what we do on this show is sort of, talk about the crossover between the amateur radio hobby and the computing hobby and how they complement each other. So while you can do antenna design in a manual way, you can also use some really outstanding software to do really cool things with antenna design. And you can put those two things together. And that to me overall seems like it would make the whole thing much more interesting. That's right. That's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect thing to, I mean, plus that's also going to hopefully draw people in as you kind of have parallel spheres of influence that you're involved in right i mean how many people have you introduced to amateur radio just merely because you're you're so linux heavy so you have linux advocates they're probably already of the mindset of someone who would probably become a ham because it's kind of a you're you're, you're going to have to do a lot of work on your own or, or more work than obviously with a pc or a mac kind of thing right well we we try and dispel that notion actually oh really <laughs> okay can- I, well, we do because, because, well, what we try to do is make the distinction that if you want the plug-and-play option, like a Windows or a Mac-type environment, you can have there, that. Right. But if you don't want to, if you want to be the tinker, the hacker, or whatever, that's available to you, too. We try and cover it from both sides because somebody's going to be from either one of those camps. Either they just want to plug in their Chromebook and talk on Facebook, or they really want to dive in. And we try and address both hobbies from both perspectives. Okay. Well, Well, uh, it's good you have those options. (laughs) Right. We actually have a piece of feedback today from one of our listeners that is not a AM radio operator. Yeah, we're going to get to that. he's a Linux geek. And it actually speaks to so that's kind of cool. (laughs) Nice bit of serendipity there, too. And there was something else I wanted to ask about that you were talking about, but it's going to it's already gone from my head, so I'll have to come back to it. <laughs> well, you know, let me let me circle back really quick because I do want to hit that point again. That I think that if you're uh, someone that that is knowledgeable, is a mentor, trying to capture more of what you're doing with ham radio online is going to be the most important thing going forward because we're not going to have the you know, nephew Jimmy comes over to the house and you're playing with the radio in the garage situation anymore. People are going to stumble onto your online presence, whether that's an, a post you made on QRZ forums, which is, 
you know, scraped by Google or whatever, or you make YouTube videos or you make blogs or you make podcasts, whatever is convenient for you, get that information out there of what you're doing, including, but not limited to, fun activations that you're doing, fun, interesting things that you're doing with amateur radio, because that's going to be where people stumble into the hobby going forward is what they find online. So I'm taking from that, you think like the, it used to be, and sort of still is the idea that clubs, especially around things like the AWRL field day mm-hmm. will set up operating environments and they invite people, they, they get media exposure and they try and get people to be interested in it. But you think therefore that it would be more beneficial to do that plus maybe live stream it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, field day only comes around once a year and i know that you're playing around with radio way more than once a year so there's something you're doing most likely someone out there that could throw a camera on for a little bit probably not much editing just off of their phone post that to the internet or you know post a project you're working on like i did a i did a video on setting up a raspberry pi to interface with my elecraft kx2 for using jsa call which is like a conversational digital mode and it, it's a it's a popular video but from that there were people that commented you know they didn't really know about amateur radio they just were an advocate of the raspberry pi which which has a bigger uh, advocacy community is probably Raspberry Pi. It's going to have more people come into it. So that Google effect of the the way the algorithms work, you might take somebody that's a Linux enthusiast, a Raspberry Pi enthusiast, put something amateur radio in front of them, and all of a sudden, oh, wow, you got a new ham. Right. Yeah, no, and that may be a really good approach. I mean, I guess we're sort of ferreting out what these approaches should be and what methods we should use to make, I don't want to say attractive no one you know it doesn't have to be attractive necessarily but of interest i guess yeah i don't Uh, think you have to gussy it up i think you just need to capture it and put it out there people will find it and they'll be interested in it it just it needs to be out there in a way that is accessible yeah we just hosted a winter field day here at our property uh with one of the local clubs and um i was a little discouraged after you know several months of advertising the event, that nobody showed. Yeah, how little interest there was yeah. in it. Um, oh. I don't think there was anybody here who was a non-ham. There, there were some people who were hams, um, lapsed hams, yeah. right. that that were sort of being reintroduced to the hobby. But I don't believe there was any unlicensed they were all part, person. No, there was no unlicensed people, and they were all members of our club. Yeah. So. So, yeah, a little bit disappointing in that space. And we were actually thinking about live streaming part of it. We just never part, got around no, to doing it. No, part of it was live streaming. Oh, part streaming. of it was live yeah. streamed. Okay, good. I'm glad somebody got that on there. But uh, No, Franklin did it. So. Okay. Well, that's good. We at least did that. <laughs> um, so I'm looking down the list of ham radio issues. And some of these, uh, these are, of course, these were issues that were reported by licensed amateurs. So I can see sort of why they're yes. there. But, um some of them seem like uh, why would anyone even notice things like poor enforcement? Do you think that's really a, a deterrent <laughs> or a? I mean, uh, so poor. I I took that as like a con, like a kind of a, a cobbling together of RFI from external sources. So poor enforcement is like, can you? I mean, go go inside your house. I mean, look at my RFI video. These are name brand companies that are have well good reputations that are putting horrible switching power supplies in all their devices 
and they're shipping them out the door. Does the FCC, are they supposed to enforce that the code that for interference is, is adhered to? I think yes. So RFI from external sources and poor enforcement are almost hand in hand from my point, my viewpoint. Okay. I mean, that's fair. Um, not to mention the bad actors, but I mean, what are they really going to do? It's kind of the problem. <laughs> right. Uh, just go on 11 meters on any given day. You'll see what the bad actors are like. Or um, you know, parts of 80 meters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They've been there forever. <laughs> That's true. Seems like the people that were complaining about the bad actors become the bad actors after about 20 years. <laughs> oh, enough. that's interesting prophecy. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we'll find oh. out in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> so, so I think uh, I wanted to touch on, I mean, we're obviously trying to touch on all the things that we think that will improve uh, acceptance and uh, interest in the hobby going forward. Yeah. Um, you mentioned um, expanded privileges for techs, and I don't recall which way you swung on that. So let's hear oh, it. I'm, I'm pro. I'm pro the the expanded privileges. I have been from the moment I heard about them. And it all goes back to dwindling mentors, uh, clubs that are not as open as they used to be in showing off what they're into and their mastery of radio, that how is anyone going to know what is out there with regarding HF radio if there's no one to expose a technician to it? How are they going to find it? Okay, but you can operate as a tech with a higher class licensee nearby a radio. But uh, that's the same problem. You've got to have a mentor to be able to do that. And people are saying they don't have them. Do you, but do you think that expanded privileges are going to generate interest? I mean, what what about having some additional HF privileges, like maybe being able to operate voice on 40 meters, is going to bring people to the hobby if they're not already at least partially interested? So you, you got to look at this as two things. Keeping ham radio relevant doesn't mean bringing new life into the hobby. It means bringing new life into the hobby and keeping the people we already have. We have a big problem with people that get their technician license and either A, never make one contact on the radio, or B, get tired slash frustrated of the repeater access and the VHF, UHF access and just leave the hobby entirely. The only thing in my mind, the well, not the only thing, but the big thing in my mind that will keep people interested is access, just a tiny bit of access to HF. And 10 meters in a low sun cycle doesn't cut it for that access. Well, they have access to 80, but it's only CW. <laughs> well, no, they, they have access to 80, 40, and 20, but it's only CW. CW, yeah, right. Yeah, That's a so, big problem. Yeah, I mean, let me give me a harder task to keep a, a, a ham, <laughs> make them only use CW, right? Like, you know, tie both hands behind my back. Well, that's how I used to work my day. Right, right. And 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 that goes back to the, the argument that's made is, well, you guys have it easy. You know code techs, you know code extras and generals. I had to go to the FCC. And so the, the defense of that opinion, and, and it shakes out in the survey, the majority of people are against expanded access for technicians, which is fine, but you have to ask why. If the answer is because I had it harder than you, then that means you are not adapting to the changing environment that we already live in. What do you think about making, giving expanded access, but making the technician test a little more technical? Uh, you know, maybe, but I would probably be against that. I was kind of down with the way the UK uh, tech li license or their, their equivalent license goes. They've got a power restriction. They've got basically QRP. 
They've got they get access to they get kind of like ban access as a general would, but they're limited in power output. So upgrading your license gets you more power basically. Which okay, because again, and and another argument that people make against the tech giving technicians some access to HF is that they're not knowledgeable enough. Well, they're tested on HF. The questions in the test pool include HF questions. So either the the test itself is is not doing the job that we want it to be doing, or it's it's just a farce, right? If if the only access they have is CW, really, and we're testing them on their ac- on, on their ability to do HF, then I'm curious what what is the what's the real point of it? I'm tempted to agree with you to a certain extent, but I would find, I think as a new ham, I would find having 80 meter voice QRP access almost as frustrating as CW only. Oh, no, but you're looking at the hardest band to get onto because of the the length of the antenna. The proposed change would give them access some tiny space on 20 and 40 and 80. 20 is the, 20 is the, the money band right now, 20 and 40. It's it's 20s where you want to be on the daytime generally, and 40s good, you know, relatively all the time. G- give them a bit of CW and data, or just take the CW space they already have and let them work data on that, and then give them a little bit of a single sideband so they can at least experience it. If they want to, it it will help. I believe it will help a lot and keep people interested. I say we give them the work bands. <laughs> I mean, that, that's not a bad idea either, to be honest. I mean, those still because have Because we activity. need more activity there. Yeah. We need more activity there. 17 plays just like 20 for most of the day anyway. Right. And remember, this is the proposal from the ARRL. This is what went out to the FCC that was sent out to take comments from other hams. So the ARRL sees this as well, that how are we supposed to interest people when we have a hurdle right at the HF space? And generally, I don't – I mean, you, we can pull the room – what do we find more interesting or what really hooked us on the hobby? Was it just VHF, UHF, which is great, or was it access to HF and making those long-distance contacts? I don't know. <laughs> it might be interesting, actually, to give expanded privileges to tax on like 30 meters because 30 meters is one of those interesting bands where it's workable a lot of the time. Yeah. And, but no yeah. voice on there, right? No voice. Right, oh, but no voice on there. But, <laughs> but digital, you have digital. So, right, but, you know, it, it's not hard to get a radio on the air with single sideband. You got yeah. it comes with a microphone. So I'm fine with with the work bands of voice. We could we could make an argument for that, but we already have a proposed plan from the ARRL that went to the FCC, and yeah. that plan includes maintaining the 10 meter access. Which you know, if, if we want to get picky, why didn't they say just give them all a 10 meters? I don't yeah. see a reason to hold that back. That's another you know. Nobody wants it. Come on. Yeah. But you know, I, I can I can keep, I can keep I can pick anything apart, right? But if you if you're trying to make forward progression, it would make sense to me if we right. know we've got a top heavy knowledge base and those people aren't mentoring as much as they did. Another generalization that how else are people going to find out about HF? Why would they want to upgrade from technician if they've never experienced HF before? Well, that's true yeah. because if you, if you've never experienced HF, you don't need anything other than technician. So you don't know what's out there. You right. don't get. I get people that message me and say, "How do I talk to my uh, my brother with my Baofeng?" And I say, "Where's your brother? Oh, he's in. He's two states <sighs> over from me." And then I've got to explain, you know, because they don't have a they don't have a mentor. They've got a Baofeng radio, and they think that they can make transcontinental communication with it. Sure, they can't echo link. 
well, yeah. Well, there's a whole other that's a whole other question, right? Because then that's you know I'm sure we could argue about that too or talk about it, right? Yeah. I, I think we uh, we kind of touched on this topic a few shows back too, Russ, and I think I came up also that you know I I know some people personally that have technician licenses that have never even been on the radio because they didn't get a technician license for radio. They got a technician license so they can operate remote control vehicles at Ooh, higher right. power. Yes. Yeah, and, I've seen that. Um, and there's definitely a segment of the population that's just like that. And we also have people that are transitioned to or from or back and forth between certain areas and stuff like that where they're using, you know, GRMS or FRS and they're now doing, you know, handy talkies for, you know, Aries events and, and what have you. Mm-hmm. And it, they're perfectly happy with doing that. And a lot of those people probably aren't really interested in contesting or HF stuff, you know, that maybe not, not what they're really interested in. They're interested in community service and, you know, that, that is a, you know, obviously a huge bringer of, of new technicians to the hobby are these little groups that, that do these, uh, you know, Aries, Skywarn and stuff like that. Yeah. And I know there's lots of reasons to be in the hobby. I mean, even the ones that don't really promote the hobby itself, but just the privileges for doing things like RC and stuff like that. Um, yeah, I get that. Uh, somebody was actually in the in the Hackaday chat talking about doing falconry and using amateur radio for that. So it's uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty APRS enabled falcon. Yeah, yeah. It's all these all these balloons too until they outlaw them. <laughs> that, that was kind of something I I had noted uh, from when when we were talking to a lot of younger hands how they found their way into the hobby, and for a lot of them it was to solve logistical problems. They were in a college, you know. They were on a project that they were trying to make a car, a solar-powered car, and the driver was using FRS radios, and they just weren't cutting it. And all the other colleges had the same problem. They all had these FRS blister pack radios, and they, they couldn't do comms correctly. And so a couple of them were like, well, let's just get our technician license, and we'll be stronger out of the gate of every other you know group out there. And, and they were very effective at that. So it seems like... You know, you, you, you mentioned radio control devices, and you've obviously got people that are doing projects. Balloons, right? People are putting up balloons with, you know, Raspberry Pi Zeros in them to do some kind of experiment. And they were like, well, how do we track them? Oh, APRS. So people are stumb- stumbling into the hobby, just access to satellites, right? The fun that you can have with satellites. Those are all yeah. great. Th- that's great. But if the project is over and you don't find another use for it, your radio is going to go on the shelf. Or if you've, you're not going to need another balloon launch, the radio is going to go on the shelf. So there's got to be something in there that's another hook that's not just going on a repeater. By the way, I get tons of stories of people that say their repeater, there's one, and everybody on there, they don't like talking to them. Or they don't talk to the individual <laughs> in question. So it's like, well, what are they really got, right? It, it if you if you increase the access to longer comms, you increase the potential of people making contacts with like-minded individuals and staying interested in the hobby. Do you do you well, know the details off the top of your head of the uh, FCC recommendation for expanded privileges? Uh, I could look it up, but it, I know it was uh, 20 meters, 40 and 80 was the spaces that they provided. And it was utilizing the spaces that they already had on CW and adding digital. And then there's a portion that they gave uh, for HF. For, uh, for sorry, voice. for single sideband. Yeah, for yeah, voice. Okay. All right. I mean, I assume it was a fairly small portion. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, probably, so you're going to have like everybody piled up on one frequency because they have to stay inside the band. 
Well, again, <laughs> but but see, that's a worst case scenario. If you really think it's going to be a floodgate situation where they had all these technicians that were just waiting in the wings to flood the airwaves, it's likely not. <laughs> it, it's you know, it, it, it's something that they're going to build up to, and it's a 24 hours you know band anyway for 40. The only problem would be 40 is pretty narrow to begin with, and so you would be kind of taxing the generals that are already on there. But hey, that gives people a reason to upgrade to extra too, right? At some point. Well, that's true, but what about do you, do you think the barrier the general test is that much of a barrier of entry to HF? I don't think so personally. No, it, but again, <laughs> but but again, if you don't know, how are you how are you supposed to educate somebody that oh, it's not that difficult to just get your general, go get your general? You've never experienced HF. How do I tell you? Um, I will I will allow your car to do over thirty five miles an hour. You've never experienced a car going over 30 miles an hour, but trust me, it's a lot of fun and you'll get to where you're going faster. You got to go take a test first. You, mm. you have to – nobody nobody just said, I'm going to go – well, I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people did, but not a lot of people <laughs> said, hey, I'm just going to go take this test and I hope that what I get out of this on the back end is going to be a lot of fun. They went in knowing it could be fun because they either experienced it, someone showed it to them, or they maybe watched a video on YouTube. I don't know, but – you, you you gotta you gotta get it in front of people, and you gotta make it so that they get f- some kind of flame of interest for them to want to continue. And as technician sits right now, I I don't think it it encourages people to upgrade. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. This is all very <clears throat> interesting. Actually, so. Yeah, I like I. The thing is, <laughs> yeah, here we go. I remember me being the old timer. No. <laughs> Actually, Russ is old. Black. I'm older than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, I had way more fun than I uh, on terrestrial VHF than sure. I've ever had on HF, and I probably have a million more contacts on HF. <laughs> but, well, that's because uh, of FT8. But the thing is, like 10, 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, and you know, I've been licensed that long, and I think Bill has too. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> VHF repeater usage was high and now it isn't <laughs> right well right. no and you also had you also had a, a prolific amount of all mode radios and you know i'm talking terrestrial we're doing single sideband on two meters 440 right. mm-hmm. and you know just like yeah you know, go, go try and so. find an all mode two meter radio now <laughs> yeah but yeah. bill when when was that your your heyday of, of vhf uhf when when was that time frame in the 90s yeah i mean we've the hobby's moved on, if if you will, not just from a people aspect, but actual like you just guys hit the product aspect. There's yeah. not a there's not an end. Go get a 9700. Oh, and then you'll have fun with radio. And $1,400 is a pretty high bar to say. Yeah, yeah you, you, <laughs> yep. but trust me, you'll have a lot of fun. You just need to give me well, you can get a lot of used a lot of used radios now that you can find too for about 500 bucks. I have all you know DC Even to day life. $500 though, that's a pretty high barrier for a lot of people. I mean, I mean yeah. to, to, to put down on something that you're, I mean, yeah, if it's something that's going to make your daily life better, okay, $500 is probably not that expensive. To put it down on something that is purely for a hobbyist adventure, I mean, $500 is not chicken scratch. <laughs> the, yeah, I mean, the all-banders that, that come to mind, the only one that I'd want to own is like a TS-2000. No, oh, and that has birdies on it. You can't even do satellites that well on it. Right. <laughs> I mean, but that's that's kind of the thing with all banders is they 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 do have problems, right? An eight fifty seven. Well, there's always trade offs. 
you put everything in one box, you're going to have a problem. Right, right. So I, I don't know that that's – I mean I get it, yes. I know that in Southern California, from my experience, Southern California is one of the most active repeater areas that I've ever experienced. And also the weak signal stuff is extremely popular. If you don't live in, in Southern California, though, and you're in a place that has one, if zero, repeaters, what are you going to do with VHF, UHF? Uh, we have tons of repeaters. There's just nobody using them. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same thing here. And in, in, in when I was in Florida, we had tons of repeaters, and typically we use sideband. <laughs> <laughs> no, just like just in the Springfield, Missouri area here where I'm at, there's probably – I don't know. There's got to be twelve or fourteen different repeaters, and that's that's just two meters. That's uh, that's not counting two twenty four forty, and they are barren, like yeah, all the time. It so, comes alive for the Aries meeting, and then it immediately dies again. Exactly. The, the Aries <laughs> checking that suddenly there's people crawling out of the woodwork, and then right. it's dead for yeah. Yeah, and they're all <laughs> stepping on each other, right? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't we don't know how to operate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, so is that a factor of, well, they, they used to be interested in just hanging out on repeaters, or, or now are they passionate? There's just too many challenges for their time in other interests? Yeah, I'm sure. So, you know, what do we do? You, you know, you just say, well, get that, uh, get that ras- or the Zoom spot and hop on, hop on DMR, and that's going to be it. My uh, Ethernet or my Internet-enabled uh, world comms radio (laughs) not really that wouldn't be my they're fun but you know i I like to push for no 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 you're you're responsible for your own self-powered station making your own long long distance contacts i think people get a lot of joy out of that the challenge of it yeah i I, I think the i think that sometimes us uh pontificators uh maybe put a little bit too much weight in the value of that hf knowledge at times there's a lot of other knowledge in the technician area that is probably more interesting and more technical, especially when you get into like linear satellites and stuff like that. Sure. That is way more interesting than HF. HF is easy. You plug in a really crappy antenna to an antenna <laughs> tuner, you press the tune button, and you talk. It's that easy. <laughs> it that requires no skill whatsoever. Well, reliably being able to talk to people that are pretty far away is is harder. With you know, uh, you do need a better antenna. Than that, uh, uh, <laughs> not you, really. you might be thinking of high sun cycle periods because right now yeah. it's not that great. <laughs> it's not that I'm great. A little but honestly, <laughs> it was like just just earlier today. I mean, <laughs> and I saw it mentioned on your Discord as well as ours. While I was doing it, it's like all of a sudden at like four something o'clock or maybe five o'clock, there was a 17 meter explosion into Japan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could, I'm, I'm telling you, I could have had a pair of uh, some coax hooked to a silver dollar, and I could have worked Japan. <laughs> Just like <laughs> six meters when it opens up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I mean, I understand Bill's point. Like, if you, if you want to have a, you know, a well-tuned, highly efficient, you know, push a little power kind of thing, then you can, then you can sort of get past some of the atmospheric barrier for, for talking. Mm-hmm. But when the bands are open, they're just open. <laughs> it and, doesn't really and I don't want to take anything away from satellites. I absolutely love that. I totally agree with you 100%. If we can get people more interested in satellites, that would also be great cuz that is a wonderfully complex, action-packed, fast-paced uh aspect to the hobby for sure. Yeah, and all it takes is uh handy talking and a Pringles can and you can talk yeah. on satellites. 
<laughs> yeah, you can use those Bayo fangs to do that too. <laughs> you can, you can. Uh, the D72 is still an amazing little handy talkie for that. It's got a bad battery, but they're you can get them cheap used. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I have a couple of more little points that we should probably touch on before we uh, wrap this up. And there's uh, some discussion both in your video and on the Hackaday chat about uh, MCOM and prepping. Now, you you prefaced your whole discussion by saying that we can't rest on the laurels of MCOM anymore. Um, but MCOM is still a part of the hobby. And then um, you, you sort of discovered, I think, in, in doing some of this research that prepping is also becoming a big part of the hobby. Oh no! I've I've well. So let me let me address the MCOM thing first. So I I never was resting on any kind of laurels regarding MCOM. Um, I know that was more or less the kind of some of the the track that the AWRL goes on and other groups. You know, Aries and Races are still important. They have their mission. That's totally totally fine. Um, no, the prepper aspect of of radio I've known about since 2015, and that was when all my Baofeng videos took off. And everybody that was watching them, or a large majority of them, were all what you would quote, you know, quote unquote, label as a prepper. And I got messages after messages of, you know, how how many of these should I buy? I'm working with a squad of four friends. I want to make them EMP proof. Uh, what antennas do I need if I want to make a long, you know, as far contact as possible? You know that Abri antenna came out that that's crazy folding metal thing. Um, so no, I, I've I have gotten so many messages regarding radio prepping, but they're different. Their goals of MCOM and the radio preppers that contact me, and I think what what their goals are are not the same thing and that's its i mean that's its own separate content like areas they they don't they have similarities with gear they may use but their end goals are not the same no and i agree with that but and to me one one still has the ability to expand and promote the hobby i.e. mcom and the other is a dead end as far as continuing the hobby as a hobby i mean preppers are just doing it because they need the tech in order to set up the environment they want to have in the case of a disaster scenario they're not interested in in promoting the hobby ah okay see that's i disagree okay well if you disagree that's fantastic i'd like to hear your opinion on that so sure yeah they want that immediate kind of squad portable communication but why don't they want to have longer comms with HF or explore Envis antennas that are going to give you a much stronger footprint in and around 400 miles? Because what I've found is that a lot of them, their kind of window that they think they want to be able to communicate reliably on is 100 to 200 miles. So you have a squad of HTs, right? people with their HTs, but then how do they get those HTs to 100, 200 miles away from where they're located? And the answer is it's not VHF, UHF, unless you've got a, you know, a specifically designed situation to handle that, and they're probably not dragging around multi-multi-element Yaggies into the field to do whatever they're doing. I'm not sure that speaks to promoting the hobby, though. Well, anytime that they're doing something is is promoting the hobby right well but if, if people are out doing it getting more people involved even though the purpose is for 
preparing for a doomsday type scenario, if you instill in them that, hey, yeah, you can buy this Baofeng, but if you just put it on a shelf and you don't touch it and you don't use it, you won't learn anything. You won't know how to use it when you need it. And then that instills the idea of, well, hey, maybe I should hop into a net or maybe I should work out a single sideband net with my friends. You know, the sky's the limit at that point when you start talking about it in terms of a you have to use this thing or else you won't have the knowledge when you need it. And that's something MCOM does does preach. And I think that's the right the right attitude. But the prepper community needs to do the same thing. They just have different goals. I agree that they need to do the same thing. I'd have to be shown that they are doing the same thing, not um, not just promoting the hobby and the technology aspect and the proper operation of it sure. within the prepper group. I'd have to be shown that that's the case. It doesn't seem like and I, I'm not a prepper and I don't know the community. I don't know mm-hmm. people in that community, so I can't really speak to them. But it just on the surface of it seems antithetical to the the mode of operation they're going for that they they would actually be good mentors to people in general amateur radio space i could you know completely wrong about that i just well, you know you're, i think you're right in the fact that they're probably not doing a lot of that now but the idea that they wouldn't be able to i think is we i think that they could and oh, I, I believe that they could too yeah. anyone can doesn't right. matter what so it is. i think it's just changing the narrative in a way and if they're already radio interested, then changing the narrative doesn't seem that difficult with the way we have information exchange nowadays. Hmm. Well, that's a point to ponder. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, look at my look at my YouTube channel. I, I have a series on on MCOM, but really, what it is is it's being personally responsible to what type of radios you need in a disaster situation. And it does dip into HF and it does dip into shortwave receiving. And of course there's a VHF UHF component and, and the, the people that contact me that are interested in not just the VHF UHF, they're looking for reliable longer distance comms than what they can do with VHF UHF. Yeah, and I think that would be the key is the actual, the actual mechanics and logistics of getting a signal somewhere rather than the actual operating procedures because when we're talking you know the apocalypse (laughs) uh you know there there are no procedures yeah the only (laughs) thing i advocate is that people try and do things safely um i know people will make mistakes and and people should operate correctly and not offend people on air but my big thing is that we have to experiment with radio and understand that the only way you're really going to get better is if you try things. We can read and read and read until our heart's content, but until you go out and actually do something with it, try it out, it's really hard to kind of gain mastery of it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I don't want this to go on all night because we could we could talk about ham radio advocacy forever because it's been yeah. a re- recurring topic over the the many years of this program, but. There was one thing that stuck out to me about your talks that uh, I would like you to sort of reiterate or maybe just put together in a different way in your own words for our show. And that was your idea of good stewardship. And I thought that was the the most important thing that I took away from the stuff that I saw um, about this topic from you. So if you want to talk about that, that would be great. Yeah, I I guess it's because oftentimes I I really enjoy going outdoors with radio. I love soda and, um, you know, maybe not on the on the high point soda activations, but on my, you know, one point activations, I've had a ton of people that come out and they want to know, what are you doing? And so being a good steward of radio is is kind of when you are in that situation, 
you want to behave in a way that shows amateur radio in the best light possible. You want to try and answer their questions. You want to try and explain it to the best of your ability. And I get it, right? You're you're out there trying to do an activation. Your park's on the air, your soda, whatever. And you want to get back to it. You want to complete that, those contacts. But you've got somebody that comes up to you going like, hey, what are you doing? You know, what's this all about? You know, talk to them. I know some people that uh, print up a little card that they keep with them and they and they hand them the card and say, hey, you know, my name's so and so. This is I'm, I'm licensed by the SEC. Maybe a little spiel on what amateur radio is and hand them this card and say, this gives more detail of what I'm doing. There might even be cards you can just print out that somebody already put together for us. The ARRL might have a little trifold brochure to do that. But the point is, is like you want to not make people think people that do radio are jerks <laughs> and when you're out in the wild you're putting a lighthouse beacon on yourself if you're erecting an antenna i've had cops called on me in parks before and so you know what do you do you just say hey yeah i'm, I'm licensed by the fcc and i'm, I'm here doing a um a particular aspect of the hobby that i'm making a hey i'm making a contact right now to maryland do you want to check it out you know that kind of thing and and be excited about it. You you obviously went out there because you're passionate about it. So continue that passion in, I wouldn't say selling it, but giving it the best foot forward it can. And then you're in control of that because you're the one out there doing it. Yeah, that's, that's the message I sort of heard. And the one thing that I focused on when I was you know going through your, your stuff on this and just the idea. And, and to me, that is sort of the essence of being the mentor slash Elmer is that your good stewardship is what does the best for for promoting the hobby and the thing it is when we talk about the the clubs and that stewardship has vanished it's there i mean you walk into a club and usually you get the frosty cold shoulder it's not people running up to you and saying hey this is you know we're glad you're here check out the hobby look at the things we're talking about and the things we're doing in this hobby and stuff like that and it just doesn't seem to happen yeah and that's why i thought the stewardship was the message that i really wanted to send here yeah, sorry, I wasn't trying to cut you off. I agree no, completely. No. And you're right about the clubs. Um, again, not all clubs are like that. If you're in a good club, that's awesome. You know, you you won the jackpot. But there are a lot of clubs. I hear it all the time that it used to be really active, and now it's uh, it's not as active. And just like you said, it's kind of icy in the reception to you. So yeah, you know, dude, give it the. Bring back the the love you have a radio. It's supposed to be fun and. It, it can be fun for new people, but they likely need a little bit of your interest and energy to keep it alive. Yep, I agree 100%. And while we're going to run down some of your uh, personals here and some of the things that um, you do and uh, some links and stuff about you, we'll uh, hit the chat room real quick and see if anybody has any questions or follow-ups that they want to ask before we wrap this up because we're about to do that. So if you have anything you want to chime in with, please do. Um, I do want to go back to something somebody said early on. Uh, where was it? Oh, uh, Dan, KF5TQN said, are you installing Linux on any of your machines, or do you run Linux on any of your stuff? Uh, I have a VHF, UHF packet, devoted packet radio station that's running a Raspberry Pi 3. Um, my portable, my soda kit includes a... Raspberry Pi 4, that's what I run uh, JSA call with and logging and um, sat track, although I don't really use that. I use my phone when I'm doing VHF, UHF sats. And I have another radio, or I'm sorry, another Raspberry Pi that I set up that I'm going to, I have a, what do they call it? The Rig Pi? What is it? 
Yep, that MFJ rig pie. I've got the rig pie. I have it set up, but I, I didn't take that final step to get it through the firewall to actually make it truly remote. And the more I kind of was messing around with it, I was like, I can do most of this with a Pi 4. So I started playing around in that in that world. I guess Raspberry Pi has been my primary thing because they're so portable and I can just put them anywhere. I can make yep. a light, nice standalone station, and then I just VNC into it from whatever, including my iPad. I'm working packet radio uh, on different you know, nodes all, all and around here in Southern California from my iPad. Yeah, the single board computers have been a great boon, especially for digital operation, because I know Bill uses his Raspberry Pi for uh, WSJTX mm-hmm. and uh, Grid Tracker and all that stuff. And I, I do the same thing. I have an Echolink node based on SVX Link and stuff like that. They're just they're so cheap and easy and handy. Yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah, definitely. All right, so I have some links here in the show notes. Um, I have a link to the Hackaday chat log from your talk back on the 5th. I have a link to your YouTube channel, uh, the Ham Radio Crash Course. Uh, I have a link to your blog, your regular personal blog. Um, And I also have a link to the YouTube video you put out on the 8th, which uh, discusses this topic as well. And Bill included a link to the State of the Hobby uh, site that we referenced earlier. So we've got all of that. So if there's anything else you can add to that, that would be great. Yeah, I mean, on the video, if you go to any one of my videos, there's a link to our Facebook group and our Discord. And I feel what separates us from the other amateur radio groups out on Facebook is that we are an inclusive environment. We we don't allow trolling of any kind. Uh, your questions are welcome, and, and we all actively are energetic in trying to help you. So if you're new in amateur radio or you're just curious about some aspect of it – it's a good place to start. We've got a lot of smart people over there. And then there's the Discord. The Discord's a lot of fun. Um, I'm on the Discord all the time, and that's a pretty cool community, particularly if we're setting up skeds or you know scheduling contacts kind of thing. And also pretty technical, too. So if you have any concerns or questions, that's a, two good places to go. All right. Bill and I have already joined the Discord, your Discord. So um, we'll be there and right. talking with people. So. And uh, I have not seen much activity in the chat room, so I think everybody has uh, gotten their fill for the evening or they've gone off to get a beer or something. Um, <laughs> oh, speaking of which, we can't, I can't let this go. You seem to be quite the beer enthusiast, and Bill here is also a beer enthusiast, so um, I guess I'm introducing two beer enthusiasts. <laughs> no, yeah. I, I, you know, back before I had my second kid, I used to brew all the time. Um, I'm a big advocate of, you know, micro brews and and local stuff uh we've southern california again has has great access to really good beers i'll drink just about anything but i like the darker beers i'm a stout fan myself oh thank you thank you yeah. so much <laughs> my, my wife is anti-ipa she feels oh, like yes, yes. She, it's a race to the bottom with her she's like it's just a competition to be the most bitter um so <laughs> stouts are our thing uh, I do like a, a sour now and then, but uh, I can't drink them when I'm doing the live stream because it makes me too gassy and I pucker up. And it's it's a real it's funny, but uh, you're not getting much good content out of that. <laughs> uh, well, we might have to have you come back on and talk about some some beers, especially since you like the kind of beer I like, and Bill is of course the IPA head in the group. So yeah, I'll drink absolutely. anything except the macros. I don't drink the macros really, but I'll drink just about anything. But I prefer the the stouts. You Uh-oh. should get some pecan porter from the Big Tex oh, and an Amarillo. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. All right. Well, I think we have 
I think we've put together a pretty good show here. So uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And I want to once again uh, thank Josh, K-I-6-N-A-Z, for being here. It's been great with and really good to have you. And I think uh, we have a lot of things to think about. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. And uh, we'll, we'll catch up and we'll be in touch in the Discord and all of that. So we want to thank everybody for, for being here tonight. Make sure to check out all of Josh's resources, uh, the Hackaday Chat and so on and so forth, and his YouTube channel, Ham Radio Crash Course, all good stuff. And uh, we'll catch you all in the next episode. And uh, feedback, right, first? Oh, that's right. Well, I don't want to do that. I don't want to skip that, do I? I was about to. Yeah, you were. <laughs> I was like, uh, what about the feedback? It's, it's, like, it's almost like if we don't forget something... Yeah, <laughs> we're not it doing be it right. on the show, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So good. Cheryl gets to jump in and actually talk about some feedback. So do you want to do the feedback? No, because I know nothing about this first one. Oh well, I'll, I'll do I'll, the one from John. Okay. Well, but... I'll. Well, you could read it and just ask Bill. Bill's the one who's got to answer the question. So. Okay. Fine. Whatever. <laughs> so our first bit of feedback is comment on building your Ubuntu Hamshack computer part six YouTube video from Tom Mihalik. And he says, how did you load in 1MM? Oh, PFM. <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> no, we actually, for that video, I believe I used uh, Code Weaver's um, crossover, Linux, to uh, create a bottle that would load N1MM. So basically, it just sets up your wine environment uh, in a little container for you. Um, so you can actually launch N1MM. Uh, I, I do have to say I haven't messed with that in a long time, probably since that video, and it was it could be slightly buggy at times, only because of the way which you can probably disable this anyway. N1MM does uh, by default it wants to keep its uh, log window on top, <laughs> and uh, it didn't play well at times um, with that behavior enabled, uh, and you end up with some other random stuff. You know, anytime you emulate a program from another operating system that's not really made to run in the environment, it it does wig out uh, quite a bit. Uh, if I were to do it again, I'd say don't run it in Wine. <laughs> Possibly <laughs> use Proton instead, which is of course similar. It's still built off of Wine, but it's just a uh, it's a little better built for uh, uh, interacting with the desktop a little bit better. Uh, maybe I should do that and uh, and give that a whirl and put that up there as like a addendum to that video uh, you should yeah i think, yeah, you do that. I think we're, we're sorely lacking in youtube content we got to remedy that situation so <laughs> yeah yeah we gotta we gotta work on that so uh, but uh, yeah yeah I'll, I'll definitely look at that but i did use code weavers uh crossover linux for that and i believe you can you can evaluate a copy of that because that is a commercial piece of software um and yeah, that, that's it. You can use it and just create the bottle based upon the MSI that you download or EXE that you download directly from N1MM. And it should operate pretty much uh, very similar. If, if you do kind of uh, more uh, interesting modes, like doing ready contests and stuff like that, uh, it might fall apart rather quickly. But I never uh, never went to that particular level with N1MM in that in that environment. All right. And even if you want to buy crossover Linux, it's not that expensive. It's like less than 50 bucks, I think. So, yeah, it's pretty cheap. Yep. All right. Very good. And we also have one final bit of feedback that Cheryl's going to read. Yes. Our last one is email from Jonas Rulo. It says, hi, guys and gal. Thanks for the mention. I had to duck out for a work thing yesterday. 
I do not have a call sign. My interest in supporting your show is to promote Linux in non-traditional computer use ways. People need to know that Linux isn't just for office programs, servers, or coding. It's practical and useful for hobbies, too. I think it's fantastic that you take the venue to Ohio every year and expose Linux to groups that might not know about Linux and might not otherwise think it could be used for the things they love doing. Plus, all of you sound like people I would be happy to hang out with in person. If if I'm ever back in the St. Louis-y way, I'll be sure to let you know. I think if I started broadcasting, I'd want to go the build-your-own-radio route. It wouldn't be the new digital hotness, but seems like more fun. P.S. Ari Whiskey Corner. I recently picked up a bottle of Kirkland and Nejo tequila for $19.95, and it's every bit as good as I remember. Die, Cuervo, die. The Kirkland (laughs) is great for margaritas. I've been making a mock tequila sunset of sorts, if that's even a thing. Mango and guava juice with the juice of two large limes and a shot or two of tequila. The mango juice is a little thick, so I add a shot or two of water per glass to even it out as well. Thanks for the shows and keep on hamming. Always love the techie radio and distro talk. Jonas. All right. Very cool. So thank you, Jonas, for that bit of feedback. And we'll not have to wonder anymore if you have a call sign until you actually decide <laughs> get to get one, one yeah. and tell us. So. <laughs> and uh, and, and don't, don't, don't discount tradition now from Cuervo. It, it actually is the good tequila from him. <laughs> I've heard that the 1800s pretty good too. But. The 1800s really good as well. Yeah, but uh, like it, if you just want to drink shots of it, traditional, cool it down, put it in the refrigerator. You can uh, have shots all night with that stuff. It's delicious. Shout out to the Kirkland uh, single malt scotches. They're pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot about. Um, we're actually looking at getting a Costco um, membership. membership because they do a lot of uh, some yep. of that single malt stuff for pretty inexpensive. So. That's where we get it. It's very good. Regretfully, yeah. our closest Costco is 200 miles away. Yeah. So oh, well, from what I hear, it's worth it. So <laughs> Bring a trailer. Yeah, yep, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Ours doesn't sell liquor here. so. Well, yeah. see, Can- uh, Kansas City, Kansas does not, but Kansas City, City Missouri, Missouri does. does. And there's also yeah. locations in St. Louis. So we're in Kansas City. You know, we were in Kansas City two weekends ago. We're going back this next this next weekend so it you know it's not like we're not in kansas city on a fairly regular basis even when i make a just run up there for the day for an ikea run or something so um so yeah russ was like yeah we should get a costco membership and i was like yeah. All right. we're gonna do it gotta do it i saw they were selling some stuff that they were selling um what was it lafroig 10 they were selling for 20 bucks a bottle and i was like you got to be kidding yeah, it's me 50 I, I would have bought so. the entire shelf yeah that's um, <laughs> but anyway all right now now that we've gotten down we're past done. the feedback and all that we're done so anyway well, are you going to mention the gofundme as well <laughs> you should oh, yeah you've got to mention all the things. Oh, oh we also have to mention the people in the chat room uh yeah. Yeah, so in the chat room, we had Logan K0HSV, we had Dan KF5TQN, Don KB2YSI, and Ted WA0EIR. And yes, the Hamvention 2020 campaign is live, finally. Uh, the URL can be found in all of the usual places. We'll be tweeting about it probably daily for a while. Uh, but if you want to find it, it's at url.bcts.info stroke hv. 2020 that's where you can find it and if you uh have five bucks or something to spare please donate it we would love to see everybody again in xenia ohio come this may and 
that's all there is to say about that. And if you can't donate, or if you can, either way, just share it with everybody. Yeah. Be a good steward of our GoFundMe campaign. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll make sure I come say hi again. I met you guys last year. So yay, yay excellent. Yeah. I, I can't remember all the people we talked about. Oh no, times. I understand. So. I feel the same way. <laughs> After a while, names and faces start running together and you know and we don't we don't get much time. You know, we roll into the hotel at like seven or eight o'clock at night and we are back out at like six o'clock the next morning. So Oh my goodness. Time, yeah, so by the time everybody gets gets a shower, relaxes a little bit, we're you know we're crawling into bed at midnight, and my alarm is set to go off at five o'clock. The oh, last boy. couple of years, Bill has been working before we <laughs> left, so he was like rolling out the door of the hotel room at like four thirty in the morning to go sit out in the lobby and work, so he wouldn't wake us up. And I was just like, and I I'm a light sleeper, so of course I'd hear Bill go out the door, and I'd be yeah you know, I'd hit Russ and go, hey. Bill just laughed, and he's like, good for Bill. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I'll, get I'll, keep you, I'll keep you posted. I, I host a, a meetup, and it's usually at a, a local establishment that has uh, all microbrews on tap. And so it's usually Friday or Saturday night if you're going to be there. Oh, yeah. Well, well yeah, I mean, we, we always get There's a 99% chance we'll be there. So. <laughs> okay. Good, good. Yeah. So, all right. Very good. So thanks once again, Josh, KI6NAZ, for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right. And uh, so now we're done. Okay. <laughs> this has been episode number 325 of Linux in the Hamjack. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. For listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. The live show is recorded every Monday night at 8pm Central Time, plus or minus QRL. Connect to the live stream at url.bcts.info stroke LHS Live. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or by using the contribute link on the homepage. Get in touch via social media. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter and YouTube. Our IRC channel is hash LHS podcast on the Freenode network and the Discord invite link is url.bcts.info stroke discord. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a local Linux convention or hamfest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info for more information or visit the homepage for details. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.
Linux in the Hamshack and the Linux in the Hamshack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.